0: Hi and welcome to another Inside of the World of Duotone podcast. I'm Lewis Crathen and today I'm going to be talking with CEO of the Global Wind Energy Council, Ben Backwell. Ben, thank you for joining me.
1: Hi Lewis, great to be here talking with you today.
0: Um, I want to know a little bit more about you, Ben. Please tell me exactly what you do. I know that the, uh, the, the Global Wind Energy Council is the voice of wind energy, but what is it that you do?
1: So we install uh, wind power all around the world. Um, And we represent the companies, the manufacturers of wind turbines, uh, the people who install the wind turbines, um, all kinds of people who work around technology uh, with wind turbines. So we're kind of the global advocacy group that goes around talking to governments um, around wind power and why it's a good idea and, and how they can install it and get wind power in their countries.
0: And how have you got into this? I mean, what, is, what does it involve, actually, your job? You know, it's easy to imagine you talk to all these different people, but are you travelling a lot? What do, you, what do you do on a sort of week, day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis?
1: So week-to-week basis, we're doing you know several things. One is we communicate um, through our website and Newsletters and also statements of the press. And I spend a lot of time talking to journalists um, and also coming up with the information and the facts that we're pushing out there to people. So we're informing people around uh, when. Turbines and wind energy, um, and engaging with you know press and people who are influential to get the message across about why wind power is, is a good solution. Um, and then the second thing is we're doing is we're engaging directly with governments. Uh, so we're talking to the Egyptian government, which is you know as you know Louis, you've been there yourself recently. Um, yeah, Egypt, Egypt, Egypt is holding COP twenty-seven, the climate talk, change talks um, in November. Uh, so we're working with the government to try and organize those talks and to make sure that people understand wind energy and that wind energy is represented at those talks. Um, or you know, later on this week, I'm speaking to people in the government of Taiwan because they're doing a lot of offshore wind there and we're giving a kind of technical um, seminar around wind energy policies there. Um, or it might be the government of you know, Brazil um, uh, or Vietnam. So I spend a lot of time talking to governments, um through, you know, Skype and you know, Zoom and and you know and teams, uh, but also directly going to these places and talking to people when there's a big um event or announcement or something very important is happening. Um the other thing we do is we organize uh, events around the world. So we organise the biggest wind power event in China, for instance. Uh, we organise events in Vietnam, Taiwan and Brazil. Um and then Finally, I guess what we do is we talk to institutions. Um, so people like um, uh, the International Energy Agency or the International Renewable Energy Agency or the World Bank or the IMF and we try and explain to them what's going on with um, things like costs of wind power, or costs of commodities that make wind turbines. And we try and manage, you know, kind of issues that are easy or difficult for our industry around the world as well. So it's basically, I mean, my job involves basically talking to people but also writing um and i'm you know, I, I really love the job i'm I'm, a, I'm very lucky to have this job and uh it also mean means meeting really interesting uh people um and it means meeting a lot of young people who are getting into wind energy um, and try to help you know encourage them and and mentor them so we have um, students from the University of Sussex for instance that are working in GWEC at the moment Um, we have you know whole teams of people working on different research areas Um, so yeah it's it's a varied job um, but a really really enjoyable one.
0: It does sound very exciting and of course I'll get on a little bit to how we've come into contact together but just touching on those places. You've listed already for the kite surfers that are listening. You know, you've mentioned Brazil, Taiwan. Vietnam, China, these are places that kite surfers know are quite popular for kite surfing as well. So there really is a link that I've always um, seen and noticed between kite surfing uh, and wind energy and certainly the places you're spending a lot of your time and talking to people about are, are those same places. And we'll get a bit more into that as we go on with our discussion. But I'm al- always interested when I speak to people about how they got into the things they do. So what what is your story? How have you found yourself in this position as the the CEO of GWIC what did you do from a young age and I know you're very much a a journalist at heart but what did your story look like from when you left uh, college or university?
1: So um, always interested in writing and journalism um, and then got into energy particularly my first job Um, when I left university, um, and started writing about basically fossil fuel energy. So oil and gas trading, basically, um, got into that. Um, I spent a lot of time living, um, in different places around the world as an energy, uh, correspondent, um, and particularly in places where there was a lot of oil and gas. Um, so I saw a lot of you know, how that interacted with economies and also with environments and communities around the world. Um, I eventually became a correspondent covering um, OPEC, which is the Organisation of Petroleum Exporting Countries, which is really the big the big oil exporters. Which was mm-hmm. a really interesting job because I was looking at how um, oil interacted with politics, basically, and economic. Policies um, around the world. Um, and then I covered a lot of kind of big oil and gas uh, companies um, around the world, you know, people like Petrobras in Brazil and you know, other, other countries, uh, you know, other companies around the world. Um, and then as a result of that, I mean, I think I had a good insight into how things were not. Working And I was also um, becoming increasingly aware around both the impact of climate change and the kind of growing danger of climate change, uh, but also the environmental impact that oil and gas was having. Um, so I had a bit of an awakening and, and I became kind of increasingly interested in kind of environment and climate issues as well. Um, and then eventually started covering uh, wind power um, and solar power. And these were kind of industries that were just getting going at that point um, and sort of covered them as they grew. Um, I worked in a number of jobs as an analyst, as an editor of um, kind of newspapers and magazines, um, always kind of covering energy, but increasingly covering green energy. Um, and then I worked for a while as a, a campaigner. I was involved in the whole COP uh, process in Paris, the one that came out with the Paris Agreement. Um, then I worked as a consultant for a few years, um, really, but again, only with renewable energy companies. So I kind of saw the business side of it and then eventually uh, moved to the um, role of GWEC uh, CEO because uh, the wind industry was something I was very kind of passionate about and I saw that as being something that was really uh, doing good um, in in this whole kind of world of energy and, and politics. So it's been a bit of a long story, but that's how I eventually ended up in, in GWEP.
0: And um, eventually, actually, you reached out to me and for our listeners, um, it's worth mentioning that we have a partnership and um, it was a wonderful memory of mine when you approached me and we went walking under the two... Wind turbines at shore and port, and you, um, you explained to me you wanted me on board. But how have we come together? What is it you saw um, in me and kiteboarding? that You thought, oh, I need, I need visibility within that sport.
1: Yeah, well, it's a, it's a funny one. I mean, first of all, I've got to point out to you listeners that Lewis and I've grown up um, almost kind of couple of miles away from each other. So we're both from uh, Sussex coast. Um, I'm actually from Shoreham originally, uh, which is a, um, a port you know, on the south coast in Sussex, grew up there um, and then went to university in London and kind of moved away and went all around the world. And funnily, during the COVID pandemic, I'd actually started spending a lot of time in Shoreham again. Um, and actually a couple of people told me about Lewis Craffin um, and then I went online and kind of found out more. Um, and it just seemed, uh, it would be a really good thing to get together and talk about, um, what was going on and about kite surfing, about the wind. Um, so it, it just, it just was, you know, you seem someone who kind of immediately, I thought this would be a good, a good person to have a conversation with. I think on a kind of wide level around kite surfing, um, you know, obviously wind energy is about wind. Um, And it's about windy places. And it was no surprise that, you know, we ended up talking about the same kind of places around the world. Um, You know, all kinds of places, you know, northeastern Brazil and Japan and Taiwan and Vietnam and, you know, the, the Netherlands and Denmark and all these places where it's very, very windy. Um, um, and, it, and it kind of struck me there's a kind of synergy there between the kite surfers who kind of really kind of live with the wind and know what's going on with the wind and kind of always aware of the wind around them and, um, and our industry, which kind of works on the same way. I mean, we're, we're just basically fascinated around the windy spots and, and, and the kind of um, energy that's, that's in these places. Now, wind, wind energy has actually had quite a close connection with sailing over the years. Um, And a lot of people in the wind industry are sailors. Um, The wind industry has also been involved in sailing as a sport and has kind of sponsored a lot of different types of sailing activities uh, in terms of breaking speed records around the world, um, yachting um, around the world, solo yachting and and many other things over the years. Um, But kitesurfing seemed to me like a very kind of much more grassroots uh, kind of sport. It's something that people can get into, um, you know, fairly easily. You don't need to have millions of pounds or euros to, to get into it. Um, and I was also particularly um, really taken by the project that you were doing, Lewis, with school kids. Um, yeah. and, I, and it'd be good for you know, Maybe you can mention that a little bit and give a bit more background. But uh, I, you know, I found out that you were doing your own program around you know educating school kids and making school kids aware about wind and wind energy, and it just seemed to be like a really natural fit for us to to work together
0: for a long time i 've really believed that there 's a, a synergy as you mentioned between kite surfing and wind energy, so i 've gone. On my own back for many years now, I've been delivering my own schools program where I'm using kite surfing as a tool to engage the kids. It's so visual with the the nice videos and pictures that you can show them. Then you can go that one step further of flying small kites in, in their field. You know, you can really put the power of the wind into their hands, which is, a, is, is magical really. And, and the lovely messages which go along with that from sustainability, looking after the environment, your local area, staying healthy and fit They're all great messages that you can convey very easily. So it was a dream come true when you approached me and said, look, I want to scale this up and and do this more around the world and start getting you to some wind energy conferences and and meeting with all these incredible people, which I I just have in Egypt, which we'll go on to to talk about in a moment. But really, it was the right timing for, I guess, both of us to really utilize um, each other's quite quite different industries, but actually sharing a very... Very similar, uh, a similar message.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the other thing that really fascinates me about this and uh, about the way that we're working together is that for us to get anything done as an industry, you know, we need people's support. Um, yeah, you know, we can't be just sort of seen as these people who come along and build a load of turbines out in the, in the water and then kind of go off to the next place and don't, are not worried about the concerns, you know, of other people and the other people who are using the ocean space and I think for that reason as well you know, this partnership is really interesting because I feel like we're talking now with a community of people through um, you, Lewis, who uh, you know, are out there in the, in the water and using the space. And we really want to kind of coexist uh, with people you know, who, who, who are out there on the water. Uh, we want to be kind of good citizens in terms of the impact that we have on the ocean. Uh, and I think that's really, really important that we don't repeat the mistakes of the oil and gas industry. Um, but we also want people to understand, you know, why... You know, wind energy is so important for stopping climate change and just the kind of really big role that wind energy is going to play in this whole thing. Um, So I think, again, I mean, for us, it's really, really important to be talking to people and talking to, you know, ordinary people who are out there, Kiting, you know, who are in the local communities, uh, because those are the same kind of places that we, we're going to be, you know, out there harnessing harnessing the power, the power of the wind.
0: Well, let's um, and let's talk about that. You've brought up climate emergency there, and it's on my list here to talk to you about. Let's actually really talk about that and you know there's so many things i hear about whether or not we actually are in a climate emergency and um people who have a problem with maybe we can't actually make a difference anyway but you know let's talk about a climate emergency how serious is this and can and can wind energy help
1: yeah i mean i think first of all it's you know really important to take stock and to kind of realise for people that this is extremely serious, um, and it's you know it's a hard thing for people to accept because people would like to just kind of get on with you know, their lives and, and and having fun and bringing up their families working as as we all would. Um, but it's it's something that we can't ignore. And I think the events of the recent years, and in fact, the recent days have really shown us that this isn't a problem that's going to affect future generations or that's going to affect us in 10 years time or even five years time. This is something that's affecting us right now. And I'm talking about, you know on the one hand um, breaking new heat records all the time um, mm. and I think it's it's really important to for people to understand this is not just about a small increase in average temperatures um, I mean the whole aim of the climate community is to try and limit global heating to one point5 or two degrees you know um, as, as a kind of maximum um, and there's this one point5 degree target but even that um, is a is a much much higher you know historical average than we've ever had before and that brings with it extreme uh, extremes of temperatures you've got to look at the highs you can't just look at the averages and we're already seeing you know this kind of huge wave of forest fires you know in the u.s um in australia in siberia um this year in portugal and france and Uh, Italy um, and Spain Um, and then these kind of extreme heats we've seen in the UK and it's quite it's quite interesting to watch because there's always a tendency for people especially in the UK I think just to say wow you know it's a bit hotter you know keep calm and cool down and you know kind of enjoy it but it's it's kind of a bit flippant Um, we've never had these temperatures before Um, uh, and we're talking about crops burning, we're talking about fires uh, starting far more easily. I mean, I've got um, 11, an 11 year old son and he was sat in a classroom where the temperatures were 43 degrees um, with the curtains drawn in the dark uh, because there was a power cut, uh, because some of the you know, transformers just blew uh, in the area rural area where I live. And this is really just the beginning and it's not funny. You know, 40 degree temperatures are not funny, even places where you're down by the beach. It's not funny. People will die with these temperatures. And I think what people don't realize is the knock on effect that this has on water um, and agriculture. Um, and potentially on power systems as well that will break down. And, and, you know, it's really, really a dangerous situation. And at the moment, just so that listeners kind of understand this, we're not even on a pathway to keeping it at 1.5. We're actually far higher than that. Um, So there's a lot of work to be done just to kind of – Get us on a 1.5 trajectory and stabilize uh, the climate. We're not going to be able to get it back to where it was. It will take, you know, generations. Uh, But the very least we need to do is stabilize so that it doesn't go to even more dangerous levels. And then I think the other thing that people, again, don't see is that, you know, in some parts of the world it gets wetter and it gets, you know, stormier. Yeah. So you're going to get these big kind of storms. You quite often have now a very dry summer and then you know, a very wet stormy winter. You know, We've seen this in places like New York where parts of Staten Island and the Rockaways have just been kind of blown away um, or in parts of the Caribbean. You're seeing it in places where you didn't have big storms. Uh, before like brazil and places like that and all of that um, obviously has very catastrophic event um, effects on on people as well uh, particularly in areas in the global south where people are very poor and are living in uh, precarious uh, housing so it's really yeah this it's not funny and it's not something that's going to happen sometime in the future it's, it's kind of right now
0: i mean it's clear ben that um, we're seeing around the world with the weather changing the effects of um, what we're doing as humans now let's talk about wind energy um, because often um, you hear people say things like you know well, the wind turbines aren't great for the environment they get buried in the ground you know what's the real statistics behind wind energy and what it can actually do uh, to help us in this battle with with the climate
1: okay so first of all you kind of need to start from the big picture and say, what what's causing climate change? Uh, it's carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere? And then within that, there's different um, kind of chunks of carbon that are going out, right? Now, the biggest chunk comes from energy. So energy isn't everything. I mean, there's also things like agriculture and, and other things, but the biggest chunk comes from energy, and then within energy, the biggest chunk still comes from electricity, and then you've got things like transport as well, right? Which is planes, boats, and automobiles um, as well, mm-hmm. and and then you've got energy used in um, industry as well, like for making steel and you know aluminium and things like that. But the bigger the biggest single chunk comes from energy, right? So replacing high carbon energy sources um, basically from coal um, and oil and gas by low carbon or zero carbon sources takes a lot of carbon out yeah. of the atmosphere. So that that's our kind of starting point and within all the technologies uh, wind, car, wind wind energy has the kind of lowest carbon lifestyle, life, life cycle impact of any of the technologies. So you can see this kind of measured by different international bodies like the IPCC, the inter- governmental panel on climate change uh, that wind energy has an extremely low uh, kind of life uh, life cycle emission of carbon um, compared to any other technology. That's even compared to other renewable technologies. And obviously far, far, far less on an order of magnitude than fossil fuel energy, which is basically about um, using and burning large amounts of of, car- of carbon, right?
0: And when when we compare that, I mean, I have seen some of these tables. We're not just talking like you know pretty good in comparison to oil and gas. We're talking like off the scale, ridiculously good in comparison, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 absolutely nothing. I mean, it's literally the lowest um, amount of carbon per kilowatt hour of any 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 you know any kind of known energy source, um, and that. In, within that life cycle assessment, that, that includes also all the energy that's uh, used to make the wind turbine. So, that, you, know, you, you are using some energy to make the wind turbine, right? So, you've still got you know, steel and some concrete and, and some other metals in, in the turbine. But that gets paid back very, very quickly um, because the turbine over its life is not using any fuel. So it's just not burn, it's not burning any fuel. I mean, it's basically just spinning around, Um and it's it's taking energy from the wind, uh, which is you know, inexhaustible. And, it, and it's just turning that into electricity. Uh, so the payback is very, very rapid. And it's a very, very effective way of taking carbon out of the atmosphere. I mean, the biggest problem we have is coal. Right. So let's let's keep that in mind and then you know there's coal which is very very carbon intensive and there's oil and then there's gas which is less carbon intensive but which still emits uh, a lot of carbon so that's kind of the order of things and then there's industry where you have things like steel and and they can be decarbonized Um, eventually um, as well through things like producing green hydrogen which can be used in industrial processes, doesn't emit uh, when you burn hydrogen the key thing is how do you make the hydrogen and you can make that again through uh, renewable energy through electri- electrolysis with water um, and then you're basically creating a kind of green fuel that yeah. can be used in some of these other industries which don't run on direct electricity
0: and um, I mean we're going to we're going move on now from that, I mean it's clear to me um, that the wind energy it just doesn't need so much maintenance compared to like you know your oil refineries and gas which need that everyday constant amount of work to keep them going whereas once you've got the wind farm up and running it just does its thing and needs minor sort of maintenance which is wonderful but um i want to move on and talk to you about kiteboarding and maybe its role that it has in raising awareness to the power of the wind because that's clear that it does have a role it's something that i'm very passionate about and something that i mean some of the things that you've done at GWEC uh, have already been quite impressive so you've 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 uh, you've You've sponsored the live stream um, already on the Big Air Kite League, which has had over 50,000 views with your GWIC advert. You've sent me recently to Egypt, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And you've supported and really helped to restructure my schools program with a lot of uh, really good investment and some great content and, and resource packs that we deliver. But let's talk about Egypt. So I've just been visiting out there and you sent me on this real mission, this sort of James Bond mission. I've been describing it to people where I had this objective and headshots of the people I must talk to um ahead of COP twenty seven. So what was it that um what was it that well, I can almost tell everyone what I've just done in Egypt, but I wanted to, to hear your perspective of why it was important for you, for for me to be there. Why did you send me over to Egypt ahead of the COP twenty seven meeting later this year?
1: I mean first of all, yeah, it's really being great, and it's great having you on board um, as an ambassador, uh, Lewis. And I mean, GWEC is really happy to sponsor you, and also have you as part of our team as well of people, kind of on on a global level who are going out there and representing uh, the industry. Uh, just because I think you, uh, yeah, you relate to people in a really, you know, kind of real way that people can relate to. Yeah, you're great talking with people, and I think Thank your you. experience of the schools program, you know, really shows, you know, just how good you are at getting messages across um so with egypt so egypt's going to host cop 27 in sharm el sheikh um we as the wind industry are actually building a lot in egypt and i I was there recently on the on the red sea coast i mean there's fantastic wind there um and we're obviously engaging in the kind of more formal part of the program but what we want to do is is you know, relate to people on, on a different level. We want to relate to the people in Egypt. We want to relate to, um, you know, people down there on the Red Sea coast. We want to relate to young people in Egypt and, and show them how exciting the potential of wind power is. Um, you know, we want to get people to relate to wind power as something that's exciting um, and which can be fun as well. You know, we, we don't want to just give a series of kind of dry messages. So I think having you down there, was really good, I know you were down there with our team in e- Egypt uh, from this company called Lakela Power. They've just built this kind of enormous wind pa- uh, wind farm down on the coast, and one of their leaders uh, also kite surfs a bit. Um, um, Faisal, as well, yeah, Faisal. He's a,
0: Faisal,
1: he's a good guy. He's a yeah, he's a great guy, and he's also into kite surfing as well. Um, I know you were also with the British ambassador. The yeah. back, the backstory to that is that the UK hosted COP last year in Glasgow, and they're still um, officially hosting it, yeah, you know, or, or running the process to some extent until. Um, Sharm el Sheikh and helping the Egyptian team, um, you know, take o- take over for the for the next cop. Uh, so it's really good to to uh, be with him as well, and he's also a keen uh, kite surfer. But it was also really good. I mean, one of the things we we're trying to do is to engage young people in an area um, on the Red Sea coast where there's not much going on economically. Um, and where a lot of these places have been slightly sort of dusty, kind of oil terminals, like you know a place like Razgareb, which was quite a kind of oil and gas orientated kind of town, um, and which are now seeing jobs being created. You know, from wind energy, and I know you met with, for instance, um, Lewis with some of the young engineers from Ras- Halud uh, who you know is in our women in wind uh, program, and who grew up in this town of Razgareb and is now kind of one of the senior people running this big wind farm near there. And it's really, really having an impact on the local community and showing that we can bring you know economic benefits and social benefits for people as well it's not just about climate change but it's also about the benefits that the industry uh, brings as well and i think you know you're a really good uh, spokesperson and example for that and who people someone who people can relate to in a different way uh, to the way that they would you know to me dressed in a suit uh, putting out statistics
0: yeah well I mean we spoke briefly about um, engaging local people and especially Raskarib I'll never forget that chat I had with Khalud, a local lady that was first in you know the first one in generations of her family to work in renewables you know her parents her grandparents have all worked in oil and gas and I sat by this incredible bit of graffiti which said oil is gold when I entered that town and that will stick with me for the rest of my life and that chat I had with her was wonderful and um, I also went to, to to visit the wind farm firsthand. and I was scurrying all around with my branded COP27 Duotone G-Wet kites getting all these amazing shots under these massive wind turbines You know, I, I really did have a, an amazing time in Egypt like you said kite surfing with Faisal um, he was a very good kite surfer he was sort of the head guy at Lakela then the, the British ambassador as well you never know who you're going to get as a coach sort of what sort of level they're going to be at but when these two turned up I was quite relieved they could jump really well go upwind they were a pleasure to work with so we had lots to do during that week where I visited schools and the wind farm and got all sorts of content but that's really the sorts of stuff I love doing and I can't wait to to go to the next trip I'm already looking at the next things that line up with you that are Taiwan, Vietnam, Brazil all of these places that are top kite surfing places where I'm thinking how can I really make it difference myself and and do things together with you um so let's move on one more time here hold on i'll just uh we're not far away from being done here ben actually this is all going great we've done egypt so Question I have for you, Ben, here is what can people do to to help better look after the environment? Because it's so easy to just say, oh, we can't do anything. You know, we've already messed it up. And I believe this is known as solution denial uh, or climate anxiety. Well, you know, tell me a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as people look around the world, it's very easy. I mean, A, to just think, well, this is too big. I can't do anything about it myself. Um, and then also to look at everything and say well it's too late or "Yeah, know we've screwed it up i mean in america they call that um black pilling people right so you, you know you've got the red pill you've got the blue pill and you've got a black pill which is basically just saying to people we're screwed um and related to that is what you mentioned Lewis, the idea of climate anxiety um where people just feel too anxious about it to think about it or just you know despair um and we we really don't want people to do that and when i Kind of throw out these kind of very stark warnings about what's happening. I, I don't want people to take that as a sign that they should despair. I mean, I'm I'm not despairing. I'm trying to make um, a positive impact every single day um, as much as I can. I've got you know I've got my my kids who I want to want to grow up in as as good a world as possible. So I think it's important to think what can, what can you do and. um I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, the most important one for me is to be aware politically of what's going on and to, you know, kind of, first of all, not accept the kind of misinformation that's out there and the yeah. kind of flippant kind of people who say, oh, well, it's just hot. You know, inform and educate, you know, and have informed discussion with the people um, around you. You know, don't just kind of, put out the kind of tropes and the misinformation that's out there, you know, take the time to kind of find the truth. The other one is, you know, quite often, you know, the wind industry is trying to build out and, you know, create more capacity. And we really need people's support. You know, it's really important that local communities, um, and especially people who are out there on the on the water, um, actually support our projects and understand why why they're important and also understand that they're not going to mess with people's activities and ability to go out and kite surf or do what they want i mean quite the contrary yeah we want to we want to work with people uh so that we can all use the oceans in in the, in the right way um and and then finally i think you know get involved in things like uh, you know the school program or trying to talk to your local community about how we can decarbonize um, making sure that you know big projects are not going ahead which which are going to make things worse you know all those kind of local activism i think uh, can can really help as well i think i think the general thing is you know, be engaged you know, don't give up um mm. try and make as much positive impact as, as you can
0: yeah and i think from um, my, my perspective as well it's great that you know you want you've got to be getting involved with things and certainly at duotone there's a big push on sustainability and how we do things with our initiatives such as road Blind, which is where our lines are made out of certain materials waste to wear where it's about recycled plastic being used and save our playgrounds we do a lot with beach cleans and i think it's important to try and to go out of your way to align yourself with people that believe in these things you know it's no good to be sitting here talking about trying to you know help the planet and and really make a difference to climate change if you're then you know partnered with someone that's clearly not doing that so i think that's everyone's responsibility now we've talked about. Go on. Sorry. No, I, think
1: I think that's a really good point, Lewis. and I think this point around community as well, really forming a an engaged community that's not just going to sit sit on its hands and just kind of allow things to happen to it, but which is out there actively kind of making choices and being engaged in those kind of activities that you're talking about, uh, Lewis, and and working with good actors in the in the in the business world as well. I think is, is really really important.
0: Are we expecting any of the GWEC team or yourself to get out on the water? kiteboarding soon well i can already tell you that some of the team in egypt did have their first kiteboarding lesson so my real question is probably for you are we expecting you to head out on the water anytime soon for a go
1: well I've, I, I mean i've kind of grown up um you know doing a lot of stuff on the water but i must admit um i'm, I'm slightly um you know kind of fearful um when i see the kind of stuff you do lewis having said that <laughs> i am uh I, I have had a little go on your training kite down on yeah. the beach with you. I am uh, yeah, definitely...
0: Up. You were pretty good. Yeah, you were comfortable. You're ready for your first lesson. That's good to hear.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely up for getting uh, out on the water at some point, And I know quite a few of my team um, have have already spoken to you and uh, would definitely like to get out there. So, um, yeah, I'd like to see more GWEC people getting out there.
0: And not just, yeah, not just my kite with the branding. That would be pretty cool if I can influence the team in that way. Uh, My last question for you now, Ben. um, It's very clear to me working With the likes of you and GWEC and being within the industry, the wind energy industry, that the people that are involved in it are genuinely very passionate about it and wanting to make a difference. Um, And I want to know who inspires you or what inspires you? Where does your inspiration come from to to be part of all of this and to be really working as hard as you as you're doing to, to try and make a difference.
1: Yeah, I think I think every day, you know, I look around me and I want I want I want to um, create a future um, that's good, um, you know, for, for me. But particularly for my, for my kids. Um, I'm really passionate about, you know, nature as well. And I like being outside and being in in, in nature as well. Um, and I just think there's so much around us, um, even, you know, especially you know, in places like the UK, um, which has been industrialized for a long time. You can really see how nature is still really part of our kind of lifeblood mm. and how much, how much we need it and how much we need to be out there. I also think, you know, increasingly, you know, people, uh, you know, kind of, in front of their computers more than anything else and they're kind of in kind of you know offices or at home behind computers and i think people really need to get out there and engage with the the wild world and um i want that world still to be there in 20 years time um, or in 30 years time or in 50 years time in fact you know there's a lot we can do to making you know life you know healthier and happier for people so that's that's what kind of gets me up every morning and um i'm feeling you know more energized and more determined uh, than ever i think when i see uh, the kind of impacts that we're seeing at the moment
0: yeah i think that's a great way to to finish ben so thank you very much for spending the time with us today that was ben backwell ceo of the global wind energy council
1: thanks this